0: Good evening, and welcome to the fourth episode of AADMC's Diversity and Inclusion On Air. This program is devoted to promoting conversations about diversity and inclusion and veterinary medicine. On tonight's program, I am delighted to welcome my very first co-host um, on the show, Angela Harrington. She is the national president of Voice and a DVM student at Texas A&M. Hi, Angela. Hi. Hi. So, um, I'm really excited that you'll be joining us um, tonight. Um, tonight we'll talk uh, with Drs. Colleen Cipriani of Purdue and Kenita Rogers of Texas A&M, who'll both talk about their experiences in working to improve campus climate with respect to diversity um, on their respective campuses. Before we get into our topic, I want to fully introduce our guests and provide a little bit of background um, on the AABMC campus climate effort. So Dr. Cipriani is the director of diversity initiatives at Purdue University of College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, She's responsible for coordinating the development and implementation of initiatives to enhance diversity and inclusiveness within the college. Um, Dr. Cipriani is also the co-director of the Center of Excellence for Diversity and Inclusion in Veterinary Medicine, which is based um, on the Right now, only textbook in the profession <laughs> devoted specifically to diversity and inclusion um, in the profession. So hi, Colleen. How are you today? Hello, hello, hi Lisa, hi Angela, hello everyone out there. <laughs> hi. And Dr. Rogers is on. She is um, unfortunately having a little bit of technical difficulties, but her audio is fantastic. So um please Don't think that she's not there. She is here. Um, And so Dr. Rogers is currently a professor and associate dean for professional programs at Texas A&M University. She holds the Bridges Chair in Veterinary Medical Education and serves as the Director for Climate and Diversity at the college. She is an LSU grad. I guess that's a Go Tigers. (laughs) um, And you know, there's a big Mardi Gras thing. We were just kind of just past Mardi Gras. Um, a small animal internist and oncologist. She is a nationally recognized teacher in veterinary medical education. And uh, like Colleen, she is super, super awesome. So um, thank you so much for joining us. How are you tonight?
1: I'm fantastic. Glad to be here.
0: Great. So a little bit of um, history before we kind of dive right in, Um, in 2010, the schools the 10 schools in the southeast region um, held a conference called the southeast regional diversity matters um, symposium and this is a meeting that happens every other year um, and one of the outcomes of that 2010 meeting was that participants really wanted to conduct a climate study for those 10 in, um individual institutions well We said, well, if we're gonna do 10, we might as well do 28. So this morphed into a national study on climate um, on our campuses related to diversity. We were really interested in seeing how some of our smaller um, demographic populations were faring, how comfortable they were. Were they experiencing any types of harassment? Did they have um, mentors? Did they have um, friends and support that they needed um, to really kind of maximize their time while in vet school? So the study was actually conducted in the spring of 2011, um, and all of our institutions participated. At the close of uh, the study, every school that participated received individualized data, and a number of the schools really seemed to take that data, study it, crunch it, and launch some specific efforts to improve climate on on their campuses. Um, And so tonight we're gonna talk specifically about some of the things that maybe Texas A&M and Purdue Have done um, during these last five years um, related to campus climate. Um, I will also mention that uh, we were able to publish a paper um, from the uh, original climate study, and I will do a quick screenshot just in case folks are interested in um, seeing that. It is published, it was published last year in uh, the journal. for uh, veterinary medical education. It's called the Survey of College Climates at All 28 U.S. Colleges and Schools of Veterinary Medicine um, Preliminary Findings. Um, and I was joined um, we are. I was joined um, in um, writing that paper with Dr. Paige Carmichael, who was the co-PI on the study. So with that, To kick us off, Dr. Rogers, what are some of the things that you kind of learned from the 2011 survey and some of the subsequent studies that you've done at Texas?
1: Um, I I think a lot of the initial findings were were similar to what we found on our campus uh, climate surveys at Texas A&M, and they really showed that we were uncomfortable talking about certain things perhaps, uh, particularly about sexual orientation and religion. Uh, but I think that some of the even more important things uh, that came out a little bit later as we as we worked through it were, number one, for me, it was really gratifying to see that the students really cared about these issues, uh, because as we continued to do some of these surveys, the, the response rate was really, really high, uh, above 75 and 80 uh, percent, which tells me that, uh, you know, that really was a topic that was important to people. I, I think it also showed me, anyway, that everybody's... Um, definition of diversity, of climate, uh, and, and perhaps how we ought to behave uh, in a professional setting uh, was very, very broad, and, and I think some of the things that we learned the most from and, and have become much more intentional about are actually some of the diversity attributes like some of the invisible disabilities, uh, mental illness, uh, wellness issues, uh, physical disabilities perhaps, some of them. Uh, And and to make sure we're being welcoming to those populations, Uh, language uh, that we use inclusive language at all levels. And then I think, again, thinking about students that might be quote unquote different for reasons that we don't even think of in diversity sometimes, like um, parents, uh, 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 veterinary students with families, et cetera, that everybody has needs, everybody has uh, um, attributes. That we can do better at making them feel more welcome, and this is a fun place to come every day. So I'd say that was some of our big take-home messages. Great,
0: and uh, Colleen, Dr. Spriani, what about it? Yeah.
2: Yes, um, we we found some of the same things. I'm I am struck by what Kanita uh, said about students because we found exactly the same thing: students having the most difficulty talking about uh, or communicating across difference when that difference is religion and um, sexual identity. So we found the same thing. Uh, just to give you a snapshot of, of our student body here in, in the year that that climate survey was taken, uh, we found that the average Purdue DVM student is a single, white, able-bodied, heterosexual female from a suburb in the Midwest. And I think that may be the average DVM student almost anywhere. <laughs> so, <Pretty much. laughs> so, so except maybe the Midwest part. But, um, but that's the average Purdue Purdue student. Um, some good things that we found is that um, almost 90% of our students look forward to attending class every day. So we were excited about that. Uh, we found that the students rarely hear racial stereotypes, but when they do, it's most likely from another student or a faculty member and least likely from a staff or community member. So that was really interesting to us. We talked about whether or not, you know, that's a function of students really spend the most time, especially veterinary students, spend the most time with their peers and on campus, as opposed to, you know, undergraduates may spend more time in the community. But but that's one thing that we found that, that was pretty interesting. And I guess the final thing that I would like to uh, point out about our survey is that a lot of our students are aware of the um, organization voice. They're aware of what it stands for, they're aware of what the national and our chapter does, but they don't necessarily come to all our events. So that was something that we hope to uh, encourage more students to come to. I, we kind of delved into that a little bit deeper and I think it goes right back to um, Dr. Roger's comments about all of us needing to look at diversity in, the broad, in its broadest terms. And I think a lot of times we can all get locked into just certain facets of diversity. And that at least on our campus, our voice chapter has really been trying to present topics and workshops that, um, embody the broad definition of diversity
0: so great great shout out to boys <laughs> <laughs> so um so what have you done with the data i mean it's, it's um you know some institutions um said wow thanks for this data and, <laughs> and, and then we revisited it a couple of years ago but i, I do want to uh, let folks know that we will be redoing this survey um, in right now we're targeting late April, early May, mm-hmm. um, and this will be a 360 survey. So it will include, um, because you know, <laughs> what is it, 12,000, <laughs> almost 13,000 vet students isn't enough. This year we'll actually um, include graduate students, we'll include, include faculty, administrators, and staff um, in the new survey so that we can kind of really get. An understanding of um, the full climate at an institution, recognizing that um, different populations have different needs. So, um, so, so, Collins, um, you mm-hmm. just tell us tell us a little bit about well, what did you do with the data? Yeah, we we actually <laughs> actually
2: looked at our data very carefully, and we compared it to the national, um, and then we presented it. We presented it to the uh, to the DVM students. I made that presentation as a part of their grand rounds schedule. So we got most of them in in the room uh, for that that class. And uh, we have a diversity action committee that consists of faculty, staff, and students. So the faculty members of the diversity action committee actually shared the data at their faculty meeting so that the faculty would have a Really good understanding. The entire veterinary administration here at Purdue kind of got together and worked really hard to get that high response rate. We also had a high response rate, but you know, we were kind of all behind it and encouraged the students to complete it and said it was important for us to understand as a, as a academic profession. And it worked. So of course, after you do that, everyone was interested in hearing what we learned from that data. So we, we shared it pretty broadly across the, um, College, so our faculty got to hear it, students got to hear it, and yeah, <laughs> we
1: shared it. <laughs> and Dr. Rogers? Um, yeah, so so certainly the same thing Colleen just talked about. Tried to get the information out to people, uh, and then and then tried to say okay. Uh, it's it's always easy to say, you know, I don't know what to do with this, or uh, I don't know how to move forward. And I think the important thing in this realm is two things, really. One is to do something
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and, and figure out strategically how you can make really an impact in these areas. Uh, because it's not just the students in this case. We all work at uh, large major universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be in a workplace setting outside where these issues are are, are going to be exactly the same. So how do we um, in, integrate learning, integrate understanding, integrate broader knowledge of these topics uh, into people's lives, number one. And I think it's it's one of those topics, diversity, climate, et cetera, really needs to come from the top. Uh, it needs to be role modeled uh, really well. So I, I would say two or three things we did once we sort of shared the data. One is when we do have instances where they be microaggressions or some other type of behavior that we're concerned about, uh, we try to have either the dean or myself actually directly address it as soon as we know about it. And we want to send a message, of course, that uh, this, this is how we as professionals uh, need to behave. It's how we need to move forward and how we need to be respectful of everyone, regardless of differences, uh, and how important it is in not only in veterinary medicine, but uh, in business, in every walk of life. And then the other way I think we've tried hard to show that it matters and makes a difference is to put things into place in the selections process uh, through our interviews. We, we happen to do multiple, mini interviews here. Uh, and every year for the last three to four years, we've made sure we had a cultural competency scenario within the interview, sort of to send the message uh, that this is important to us. Uh, inculcating things within the curriculum. We have medical Spanish, we have cultural competency, et cetera, uh, and things like that, community outreach uh, avenues. The things just to make sure that, uh, you know, this is everyday life, this is important. I want you to be able to be a great surgeon, but I also want you to be able to be a great communicator. Uh, I want you to be a great people manager, and I want you to be very kind. Uh, And all of those things are equally important, I think, in a great healthcare professional. Yeah, Uh,
2: so I just um, need to piggyback on that and say that we, very similar to Texas A&M, we also ask uh, cultural competency questions um, during our interview. We don't do um, the multiple mini, uh, but we do ask those questions and we try to, um, you know, gauge a student's position on that during the interview. We also have both co-curricular and curricular opportunities. Um, the first-year students take an ethics class. Um, I sit on a panel with our Director of Student Services, Dr. Jim Wiseman, and uh, we have my co-faculty advisor for Voices, Dr. Henry Green, he's a cardiologist here, and we do a panel in that class, we've been doing it now for a couple of years, where we uh, give them different scenarios that are, are basically about microaggressions, possible microaggressions, and we talk about it in class and ask the students, you know, what do they think about these things? So we encourage the students to always be thinking about their contribution to the inclusive the climate of inclusive excellence that we're trying to foster here at Purdue and we also have opportunities for faculty and staff to do the same things so cuz as as Dr. Rogers said diversity is
0: everybody's business so so i'm going to um hand the mic uh to Angela Um, Along with a question since she is a student um, at Texas as well as um, the national voice president um, I'd love to know kind of your take on what's happening at um, Texas A&M, but also um, Give you the opportunity to ask some questions of our guests
3: Okay, Um, I think since I've been at Texas A&M for the past two and a half years I was the biggest thing I've noticed is Voice and Broad Spectrum, which was formerly Ultramade, but both have grown a lot. Um, Just for my first year, the number of activities they did was very limited, and now they're doing much more. And um, I think that came from a lot of help from the dean's office being very supportive of those clubs and having mentors and faculty and staff that were very supportive and coming to meetings and having their input there. So I have seen a lot of growth in the field, just in the short period of time, Um, but one thing that I always kind of wondered about this is what are the biggest contributing factors to the lack of diversity in veterinary medicine? That's a hard question,
1: (laughs) so I'll let Dr. Rogers go first. (laughs) Like, Thank you, Colleen, I would love to. (laughs) Um, so so obviously it it's a huge issue right it's uh one where uh we recognize now and I think much more acutely now uh, what our profession looks like and as everyone knows in the literature we're we're sometimes called the whitest profession um and there's a lot of reasons for that probably it's it some of it has been education access, some of it has been i believe. Uh, competition, if you will, if, if you are a young man or woman uh, of color uh, and, and, or any other underrepresented minority and you are leaning toward a healthcare profession of some kind, uh, there are a lot of opportunities, both financial and help and otherwise, and it's uh, in, in some of the other health professions, particularly the medical and, and uh, sometimes the dental fields, pharmacy. Um, that, that also have exciting careers. Um, so so there's a lot of things like that. The, I think the cool thing today is that everybody sort of looks at it and goes, oh, you know, we really need to do some work on this. And so there are a lot more national discussions, uh, both locally and nationally, and uh, what can we do? And I think it's one of those things where not only do we have to make the, the profession um, seem as exciting as I think it is. I mean, I love it. I, I'm so proud to be a veterinarian and uh, I, I'm very happy that one of my daughters wants to be a veterinarian. I mean, I, I see a great future for us all. Uh, but but we need to reach out to either parts of our state that aren't as well served. Uh, we need to get into the, uh, 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 the minds and hearts of young people and their families uh, to do a better job of recruiting. And we need to understand that Uh, We are not serving all of the people we need to serve unless we are reaching out and educating a a much broader population uh, of individuals uh, than what we're doing today.
2: Yeah, so I completely agree with what Dr. Rogers just said. I have uh, two other um, ideas to to offer. Uh, My colleague, Dr. Sandra San Miguel, our Associate Dean of Engagement, actually has studied this a little bit, a socialization. So socialization of our children. Uh, she looked at veterinary toys, I forget over, over what time period, but they were almost overwhelmingly, they look like our classes today. So overwhelmingly Caucasian and female. So people aren't making, well, well now we have the new little girl on some kitty show that I'm not going to remember. I'm sorry. Help me out here, Lisa. Doc McStuffins. <laughs> yes, but before Doc McStuffins, many of the toys were um, Caucasian and female. So she actually published published on that, and that we're uh, actually socializing a lot of other kids who fall outside of that demographic to think, okay, I, I can be a vet. This is not for me. So, so there is that issue. And um, I would also like to add that. There's a lot of misinformation, incorrect information out there in terms of what it takes to go to veterinary school, what it takes. I mean, I've been recruiting now for almost 10 years for this profession. I meet lots of different people at booths, not just in the state of Indiana, but nationally. And there's a lot of incorrect information out there. So students who are sometimes on smaller campuses that may not have a true... A vet advisor, maybe a health professions advisor, um, you know, that may not be as 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 knowledgeable as as to what it takes for a student to be competitive to get into a DVM program. You know, they get incorrect information, and you know, sometimes they get frustrated, and they may have wanted to do veterinary medicine, but they end up choosing another health profession. There's also um, pressure from family members who think that you need to do human medicine, to be a real doctor. I mean, these are things that many of us have heard out there at recruit, recruiting booths. So I think there is, as Dr. Rogers said, there is a, an education that needs to be done of the, for the general public at large in terms of, of what exactly does it mean to be a veterinarian, all the things that can be done with a DBM degree, and how a student from high school, from middle school, what does that student need to be doing to maximize their competitiveness in this competitive um, entry in, in the competitive playing ground that is playing field that is entry into a DVM program?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the, the questions that Angela sent me um, in advance of tonight's show um, had to do with the finding that that students are uncomfortable um, around Issues, um, kind of engaging issues around religion um, and sexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity, and I was kind of curious um, to know what you all may have tackled um, in dealing with these subjects, and how do you facilitate kind of constructive engagement, um, education, and conversation around um, those issues and specifically. I mean, a lot has actually changed since 2011, um, with the Supreme Court ruling last year. But then we've also now got, um, you know, we're in the midst of um, the early midst of what seems to be a very lively presidential (laughs) um, run. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, angst um, around these issues specifically. And so I've kind of Curious to see, um, to hear, I guess, what you all um, have done or hope to accomplish in th- that particular space around religion and sexuality.
1: Does Colleen get to go first on this one?
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I that. fair. So, Just asking. <laughs> so, so when you were asking the question, Lisa, I was thinking, I'm not going to air any dirty laundry. <laughs> but um think that one of our more difficult conversations, I would say, and let let me back up and say that here, you know, our administration really believes that helping to facilitate these difficult conversations for our students is part of their education in terms of becoming a professional. So these are difficult conversations, no matter what age you are, no matter whether you're a student, a staff member, a faculty member, and they may continue to be, difficult for some people well into the next couple of decades. So, um, you know, we just kind of approach it like that, head on, let's have. And, and I also believe in letting the students drive the conversation. So our voice e-board wanted to tackle specifically the, the differences of what seems to be like the differences in approach to sexual identity in, and Christianity. So as as you guys know, there are some groups of Christians who believe that uh, LGBTQ is a lifestyle and a choice and should not be chosen if you hope to get into heaven. And there are other Christian groups who have, uh, you know, a more, a, a less, uh, uh, a more broad interpretation and an interpretation of what, you you know, what it would look like, what what you need to do in terms of, of getting into heaven. So our students were actually having this conversation amongst themselves. And there was a speaker that was invited onto campus, a bishop who is a gay bishop and who travels the country talking about, you know, how he believes when he reads his Bible that, you know, there's a place for him. And so the students thought, hey, we could create an event around this. So we designed an event, and we invited Voice invited their peers as well as you know faculty and staff. So all our Voice events are open to everyone at, at the vet school. So we created an event around you know if you are so inclined, please come with us to hear this speaker. And then we asked um, an on campus pastor who had the opposite view about LGBT uh, and lifestyle and Christianity to give a talk here. And so hear both talks, and then let's facilitate a discussion about this. And the discussion was facilitated very aptly by our Dr. Henry Green. And, you know, it was difficult. There were at the discussion, so of course, everybody didn't go to both events. Some people went to both, um, but some people only went to one. So we came together to have this discussion afterwards, and, and it was very difficult because, you know, there were tears. People, you know, it brought up bad memories for people depending on which session they were in. And we just powered through it and we talked about um, we well first of all we validated everyone's feelings, but we also talked about, you know, so what are some ways that we can meet in the middle? So we get that certain people are never gonna change their beliefs around a lot of things, not just LGBT. So how do we work collegially with those people? How do we have conversations with them without that being at the forefront About does that need to frame every conversation we have with our peers? So it was very good. It was difficult. I'm glad we did it. I wouldn't mind waiting another couple of years before we had to do it again. <laughs> but I'm so proud of all of our PBM family members who participated. I'm proud of the students who put it together. And and you know hopefully we grew and we learned from from that experience and we can have it again
1: <laughs> in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you need to rest up. Um, yeah, so that's that's fantastic. I mean that's fantastic, and, and I think the way to uh, address these issues often is best uh, with great facilitation and um, uh, and directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can skirt around a lot of things. I, I think we've taken a little different approach, and, and I really love what you did. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think the key for, for us, at least, uh, or at least our strategy for long-term success is to say, okay, uh, what do we really believe? And if we believe that uh, everyone has value and deserves respect, how can we show that? How can we model that? And so how can we celebrate uh, difference? Okay. And so um, a, a couple of things we've done, I'll just give a couple of examples, trying to build the skill sets that make everyone a little more accepting and have the skills to listen a little better. Uh, one of those is there's a, um, and I'm sure it's on every campus, a an Aggie Allies, uh, which is a training program to uh, allow there to be safe spaces for those of the LGBT community to come in and um, know that uh, they are safe. Uh, and so most everyone in our dean's office, et cetera, has had this training and, and proudly displays the signs and that sort of thing, and that, perhaps that's one thing. Uh, we do a lot of work with our website to make sure, again, we're celebrating uh, the broad spectrum, uh, our voice chapter, et cetera. The other tact the other I've taken is, um, We've been very fortunate here on our campus that they have uh, put some put some money behind um, improvements in climate, diversity, equity uh, from co- all the colleges and units. And so one of the things we've done with this is we've actually had 40-hour mediation training uh, that we now have 73 trained mediators in the college, uh, both faculty and staff. And the cool thing about that, really, from my perspective, is that's a – trying to develop a common language of conflict uh, across the college, but also because simply the skills that you learn with that are better listening, uh, perspective taking, understanding that there's more than one side to an argument. So regardless of whether you really learn to mediate or ever do a true mediation, developing skill sets that I think um, help you to model Uh, And show others uh, how to be a little more respectful to pay attention and recognize that others uh, can be different And we can still have these very very difficult conversations, so I'll I'll, I'll throw those in there Hmm.
0: Great Wonderful So Angela questions from you
3: Well, I heard you mention um, students who are at your school currently that may not feel their environment is very inclusive and you mentioned that there are Aggie allies but um what are some of the other resources out there for students who may be in that position right now
1: are you are you trying to uh to Dr. just Watt? at
3: purdue or at A&M.
1: okay well we have a
2: center um we have well we have several centers and we and one of our centers is a um l g b t q center for um you know, education, all of our centers are based on education around these different populations. So we have a black cultural center here on campus, we have a Latino cultural center, we have a Native American educational cultural center, we have an Asian American. And and I I realize that there are some that who think that we may have too many centers. So that's a whole nother argument that I'm sure, Lisa, you wanna have as a topic of a different podcast. (laughs) But we do have several centers on this campus for individuals who want to spend some time with like minded individuals, whether that be um uh racial slash ethnic uh sameness or share a religious affiliation, we have a islamic center so so I think there is still a place, although some would disagree with me in higher education to allow space for. Separate cultures to be together. I think these spaces can also serve as an educational space for people who are not from that center. I mean, sorry, not from that culture. So, uh, uh it, it, so I think that they're important. There are some people. I mean, I know that I've spoken to families who are looking at, at you know, our College of of Veterinary Medicine for for their student to attend. And, you know, depending on their background, they ask about these things, especially if they are, you know, not from close by West Lafayette, Indiana, or from out of state, they want to know, where can my student, where can my child go to church? Where can my child attend a mosque? Where can my child, um, you know, hang out with people that they will feel very comfortable with hanging out with. So these are questions that we get. This is, uh, so our centers serve as a positive recruitment tool for us, and you know, we're pretty proud of the work that they do on campus.
1: Yeah, I'd say um, um, those are, that's sort of the way Texas A&M operates as well, as having sort of focused uh, center type approach, as well as um, I know Purdue I think has this as well on campus, a vice president for diversity office uh, that helps us to navigate difficult situations or questions uh, from a campus perspective. Um, there are several sort of groups or I'll call them task forces or committees. Uh, one of them is called the um, the uh, Council, President's Council for Climate and Diversity and they're actually the ones who Read the reports that are sent in every year and, and make some judgment calls on who has really made impact in their college or unit and who, who should get some reward uh, financially for that, that they can plow back into diversity and climate and equity issues. A, a group that I'm on is called the Diversity Operations Committee, and there's someone, a representative from every college and university that works with the vice president of diversity and meets very frequently. Uh, she also has a diversity leaders group, so if you're titled leadership, if you will, in diversity. Uh, belong to that group Uh, to kind of basically share best practices I think is probably the best way to um, to to say that those groups operate Um, I think the other thing is internally in the colleges and and this is done differently everywhere because you have different faculty and different staff and different interests and different uh, ways of, uh, of managing but for the students specifically you know, there are a number of uh, mentor mentor groups and that sort of thing. And, and when we have someone who we figure out would like to uh, share and be a part of things, we try to try to match them up with the appropriate faculty, staff, and otherwise. And we do have a college committee called the Council for Diversity and Professionalism that also has faculty, staff, students, grad students, undergraduate students, et cetera, on it. Because I think it's more about hearing perspectives. But I learn something new every single year because there's a new uh, situation or a new individual that, that has an attribute that needs some support. And 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 over time, we we sort of learn what those are. I don't think we do them all well, and I don't think we've done them all yet. hmm Wow. Wonderful.
3: Other questions, Angela? I do. Um, I was just wondering if there were some ways that pre-veterinary students could find out the climate of a potential school they're applying to, whether this data has been published in a way that can be accessed by college students or high school students, so they could understand maybe where they would like to apply? Ooh.
2: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. We certainly have um, our Diversity Office of Diversity Initiatives on, online, so you can find us as a part of the website. We talk about what we are doing. Um, When we have the opportunity to talk to these groups about entering into the career and considering Purdue, and we do quite a bit of that, certainly in-state, but also nationally, um, we talk about how diversity and inclusion and uh, fostering a climate of inclusive excellence is a very important core value for the College of Veterinary Medicine. So, you know, we share that openly, broadly, proudly, and, um, you know, we communicate it whenever we have a chance to. So, so it, it's part of this field that we give students and families when they seek us out for information on our vet school.
1: Yeah, I think um, in being very intentional uh, about it so that, uh, again, when you're out recruiting, et cetera, it is just a natural part mm-hmm. of your uh, what you're sharing about your college, uh, certainly being very, again, intentional about the message you portray on your website, uh, how you behave if, if they come to campus for interviews, that sort of thing, how people are felt to be included. And and there's probably no substitute for uh, direct student-to-student. So oh, absolutely. Uh, we have some student ambassadors, we we have people at, at giving tours, students giving tours and things at, at interviews and all. And, and again, we certainly cannot control that. What we hope is that we have created an environment that they feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just recently went through an accreditation site visit uh, over uh, Thanksgiving uh, this past fall. And again, that was one of the things they mentioned, uh, that it seemed to be from their interactions with students, faculty, staff, it seemed to be a very good work environment, work and learning environment. But the key is not to rest on that or say, oh, that's just great. The fact of the matter is for certain individuals, it's probably still not. Mm -hmm. And and the key is to be able to figure some of those things out and try to figure out how we can be better.
0: So um in looking forward knowing that the next uh <laughs> the next uh study is coming down the pike um in just a matter of months actually what kinds of things are you looking um to learn from the next generation of um this study and I mean this will be a new generation of um of students um, as well as really some concrete data on other populations, non-student populations um, within
1: um,
0: the colleges. So, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rogers, what are you looking forward to?
1: Um, I, I think right now, and I consider it part of this whole uh, 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 spectrum of, of diversity and climate, is really the whole wellness issues, which have really come to the forefront in the last two or three years, and so. SAVMA has done a really nice, uh, very um, well, I think, fairly well done uh, wellness survey uh, that the students have participated in in very high numbers, and that data will be coming out soon. So, really, the Mm -hmm. invisible disabilities, things we do for wellness, I think I'm looking forward to pieces of that. uh, If some of those sort of come forward as things we can do better um, and support. in in terms of supporting certain cohorts of students. Uh, I'm interested in change over time, probably not only locally, but nationally, uh, hopefully for the better. Uh, And I hope it uh, shares some things maybe I've just never thought of because I I really think we all are looking for what is the next frontier, not only in numbers and making sure that there's great educational access for all, uh, but probably to make sure that again some of the smaller, less um uh marginalized groups that are smaller, uh, that we hopefully can pick some of those up and and try to be helping everybody that we can and making sure we have great support. Yeah, yeah. so you know, you know I
2: think I, I'm looking forward to certainly see the differences between the results from. This survey, and the one that we did um, back in 20, 20, um, 11 was it, 2010? And I hope that even though those results, the ones that were specific to our college to Purdue students indicated that it was rare to be um, harassed based on your race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, or religion, I hope that number is even smaller And, and I hope that a greater number of students would indicate by their responses to, you know, the different questions that, that this is a place where they appreciate, see and appreciate our efforts to create a really good educational environment for them. And and I hope they also appreciate, as we spoke about earlier, that diversity is so much bigger than the phenotypic diversity that so many of us like to focus on sometimes, and that there's all different types of diversity in the class, in your profession, and will be in your clientele, and and that they appreciate that, and appreciate the, the work that we do to create that kind of environment. Great. So ask a question about that, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so okay, so uh, one of the I wanted to kind of um, mention a few other highlights that will be in the new survey. Um, mm-hmm. This year we have changed um, the way that we ask the parent um, parent question. It mm-hmm. uh, had for for parents. Um, in the previous um, uh, survey, mm. however, um, it assumed primarily a, a heterosexual um, parentage, and mm. so um, now um, individuals will be able to um, <clears throat> um, to identify uh, the gender of the parents um, for which they're um, recording information about. Um, we are gonna be using um, Pell Grant eligibility for undergrad as um, a proxy for socioeconomic status um, in this survey to kind of get some kind of sense um, of um, class because it's a a fairly hard thing to um, measure (laughs) in a survey like this, but we found that, that Pell Grant Um, Eligibility is gonna be a pretty good proxy and one that is used often in the literature. Um, We've added a question about veteran status, which is something that was not included um, in the previous um, survey as well. And I think that we've also reframed um, questions around whether or not we think the institution is doing
2: too much.
0: um regarding diversity um and we've specified things um that question to different topics so do you think that the institution is too accommodating <clears throat> of issues around race issues around gender sexuality um we've refined um a number of the questions also to really kind of um get a sense of whether or not people think the institution is treating um, the members of the community fairly. So those are some of the um, kind of refinements that we've made to the instrument um, in the five years since the previous survey. Um, it's gonna be a pretty big project. Um, I'm delighted that, that um, we have a graduate student <clears throat> from the dvm MPH program at Virginia, Maryland, Michelle um, Ball, who um, is working on that project with me and later this year we will be doing a podcast um, on, um, some preliminary findings, hopefully, if the sky doesn't fall. So, um, <clears throat> we're at about, uh, uh, 45 minutes now. So I want to start talking a bit about, um, what should folks be thinking about in terms of climate for any viewers that may be outside of the, the traditional academic environment, but, um, what advice might either of you give to individuals who may be running um, a clinical practice at a clinic um, or in industry or just in other kinds of practice
1: environments? Uh, several things. One is uh, I, I know that most will we'll, all focus on the cl- a clinical practice environment. I think I think most individuals who own or, or associates at a practice fully understand that the, the key to being at least financially successful and probably successful in all ways is about relationship building, and these relationships are again about respect and and um, uh, caring, empathy, compassion, all the things we think are important for a healthcare professional. So uh, that so diversity, understanding difference, being able to account for difference. Uh, is probably uh, very known, very well known. Uh, but we can all get better in that. Uh, and, and we're all fully learning throughout our whole lifetime. So I think being open and willing to learn, uh, to uh, embrace, uh, to attend uh, professional development, if you will, whether it be CE or otherwise, there's a lot of opportunities now for that to get better and better. And I think then the other thing is to hold... Um, I love it when practitioners uh, who are hiring or employers of our graduates tell me what we're doing well, but I also don't mind when they tell me what we can do better at, and I like them to hold us accountable for certain things, and we will change over time with certain things. So this is one of those areas uh, that I'm always happy to hear about, uh, professionalism, how people are treated, et cetera. So uh, don't, don't hesitate to hold us accountable for, for the product that we're putting out and, and telling us what's important. Right.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I think my uh, most important piece of advice for uh, practitioners and clinicians out there who who want to learn more about this is to Get online at humancentered.org and sign up for our diversity and inclusion certificate uh, where where you can learn about some of these issues specifically as they apply to veterinary medicine. So just to pull out from one of those um, educational modules, uh, microaggressions are um, a big deal. They're a big deal in our society. They certainly uh, are happening... uh, in our colleges, in our classrooms, in our teaching hospitals, they're happening everywhere. And you know, some people have never heard of them. Well, they have never heard of the word microaggression, but a lot of times when you give these same people an example of what it might look like, they understand it. So I think that any opportunity, as Dr. Rogers said, that an individual has to expand their understanding of some of these issues, to become more interculturally competent as an individual so that you can communicate better with your coworkers, with your staff, with your boss, with your clientele in all those different settings. I I would strongly encourage people to take advantage of it and, and become more aware. A lot of sticky situations or unpleasant situations happen because people are just, they don't. They don't know what is, or they're not sure what is what might be perceived as offensive for a certain individual who comes from a certain background. So I would just encourage us all to um, become educated and learn as much as we can, so that those incidents would become less and less in our workplace and in our schools and colleges. Um,
0: I'm sorry, I forgot to mention uh, we do have a folks that are watching live, so thank you for tuning in tonight. Um, if you have some, uh, a few questions before um, we wrap, um, you can post them on the event page, um, and um, I am moderating um, that page and we will certainly pass those questions along. You can also post them um, after the event, and I will certainly ask our speakers to um, provide some answers as well. So um, Angela, do you have any uh, some additional questions before we uh, start winding down? Um, I think one of the things that's always been or on my
3: mind a lot recently is finding a job. It's getting to the point where I'm starting to think about that. And so what are some advice that you think that for students who are in that position and what can they look for in a potential job for an inclusive environment?
1: So, uh, I, again, it's another great place for a direct conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, little things that a lot of uh, the great practices do, uh, including signage, uh, their website, showing inclusivity through photographs and, and messaging and um, the mission statements. Um, but I think I think also asking about hiring practices, asking about, um how how certain conflict situations might be dealt with, uh, et cetera. It, it's always a little uncomfortable as, as a new kid on the block to ask some of those questions, but I think there's some very professional ways to ask these questions to make sure that the environment is one that you, you believe you're going into your first job, which is your most important one, that you're going to be in an environment that's great for you, supportive for you, and is, uh, again, inclusive and respectful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo, echo that. I, I, I think that, um, there's absolutely a professional way to ask about things like, you know, religious holidays and, 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 and how does one handle, you know, being away, for instance, for, for observation of, of one's religious and, and practices. So, um, I, another thing that I remember from my own safe zone training, which was a while ago now, but has stuck with me is, you know the signage and and having the safe zone sticker up uh, is something that people in that LGBTQ individuals are looking for. So heterosexuals, and this is what I was told, and I and, and I completely uh, agree with it as a heterosexual myself. Uh, I could see his point. The person who was doing the training, heterosexuals rarely, if ever, are on the lookout for signs that this may be an LGBT friendly environment. But individuals in the LGBTQ um, are always on the lookout. So anything you can do, and I think that's true of a lot of different groups. So the artwork on your wall says a lot to to different, to, to people from different backgrounds. So things like the artwork, you know, the physical space, the physical environment, I think they all hold certain clues and signs to to the people in the minority of the population who may be looking for those. So just again, educate yourself on what those may be, and if it's important to you as an individual um, to work in a place like that, be, be on the lookout when you go in for the interview for, for those kinds of clues that this place is really inclusive.
0: So, um that was a great question, and so I think that in the show notes that we I typically will add to the end of um the podcast recording, I'll include um some resources on um how to ask those questions as well as some things in the physical environment that might be i guess climate cues mm-hmm. um, for you know whether or not if you're interviewing potentially in um a clinical practice are there materials that are available in um, languages other than English? Um, are doorways big enough to accommodate um, uh, a wheelchair or someone on crutches? Mm-hmm. Uh, are things high? Are they low? <laughs> um, what kinds of images um, are on the walls? Um, what does the staff, who are the staff, and, and how comfortable do you look? And, and you know, it, it is. Um, I would argue in some ways that we talk a lot about when we're applying, particularly for undergraduate programs, about kind of fit, not just whether or not you like the school, the name, and what their offerings are, but whether or not you fit there. And I think that that many of us, um, I mean, I think all of us, are kind of also looking for um, fit, certainly in vet school, but also um, in the, the general work environment, too. Is this somewhere that I can bring my whole self every Mm -hmm. single day. So um, that was a great question. So I will definitely add um, some of those resources. And I actually do have a show planned later um, this spring, specifically um, inviting some uh, career um, counselors um, from some of our member institutions to come and talk very specifically about this um, topic, even things like disclosure, um, and at what point um, should you could you would you disclose certain bits of information about yourself um, and for your own benefit to assess fit um or not and, and so um so we'll be doing a show on that um hopefully mm-hmm. later this spring So great question um any other questions that you have maybe kind of a list here.
3: um i do have one final question sure. um so i get asked a lot of why do, do i care about diversity why is it so important to me Um, So I just wanted to ask that to you, and why do you care about this, and why is that your passion? Hmm. (laughs) You know, I
1: did
2: not uh, enter college to become a diversity professional. (laughs) I have to say that my background is in microbiology. And I started working part-time for our Women in Science program here at Purdue while I was finishing up my PhD in Microbiology. And that was my first introduction to diversity in higher education. And and I guess I, you know, simplistically I can say I fell in love with it as a topic and a field, um, mostly because I, I knew that I had experienced some of the things that that the young women that I was working with in the Women in Science program were experiencing then. I had experienced it 10 and 15 years before, and I started thinking about the students 10 and 15 years out, and is it gonna be the same? Does it have to be the same? Is there a way to make it better? And And at some point I decided that these questions were important enough to me as an individual and a professional that I could, and should, <laughs> make this my career. Um, you know, I, I have a daughter who is about to turn 18 and about to become a college student, and I think about some of the things that have been happening on our campuses this year, and some of the things that happened when I was an undergraduate 25 years ago, and how similar they are, and and I just hope that they become less and less. And I hope that if and when I have grandchildren and they end up on one of these campuses, it's a much better environment. Um, I guess that's
0: why it's important to me in a nutshell. (laughs) So before we is in, I want to share how uh, Colleen got um, swept up in veterinary medicine. Oh, (laughs) Colleen. We just get to hang around one of the... (laughs) professions ever. Um, but this is the power of networking for mm-hmm. anyone interested. Uh, Colleen and I were at, I think it was the Up meeting here in DC, mm-hmm. um, I guess nearly a decade ago. Yes. And um, she was working in the Provost's office um, at Purdue. And um, we were at a reception and I was at a table by myself and she rolled over and said, hey, hi, my name is, and I said, hi, my name is. Because I'm not shy. Very much like you are kindergartners um, in the sandbox. And, um, you know, we got to talking. It was a very brief initial conversation like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a new job, and I'm really interested in seeing diversity and STEM and all of those things. And I and I chuckled and said, oh, well, there's a great job that just posted across campus <laughs> at the veterinary school. You would probably be perfect for that. And um, a month later, she called me, and uh, she was relocating to the veterinary school. Yes. And we have been uh, close colleagues and friends ever since. It's so go to me, and go to the, the reception. I guess is my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so, so, Dr. Rogers. Uh, well. <laughs> Compared to that story, I'm very Johnny come lately to this. Um, uh, I, I've been at AM for uh, uh, 32 and a half years. I uh, started did my residency here. I'm, I'm an internist and oncologist, and I, I came to the dean's office about 10 years ago. Uh, and diversity didn't really come onto my radar as a responsibility or as something that I really thought and learned a lot about until maybe the last five or six years. Um, and But as I've gotten, uh, learned so much more, had so much more understanding, gotten to have great colleagues like the two of you and and wonderful students like Angela, you know, the bottom line is what I really, really care about is uh, I want Texas A&M and veterinary medicine really to be the best we can be for our students. And so my view is we are not the best unless we're diverse. We are not the best unless we have an inclusive climate. We are not the best unless we have, you know, good skills to handle conflict, and uh, we really need to recognize and celebrate how wonderful difference can be, Mm -hmm. and that, frankly, this profession is for everyone, and so those things speak to me and uh, make me want us and us as a college, but certainly us as a profession, to do better and better and better over time.
2: I love that statement. This profession is for everyone. I'm going to have to quote you on that, Dr. Rogers.
1: Um, That
0: would be fabulous, (laughs) fabulous. You brought it on home. So um, (laughs) I think that we will wrap on that note. Um, Thank you so much to the three of you for joining me tonight. Um, And thank you for our um, watch live uh, viewers. Hi, how are you? Um, Please feel free to continue dropping questions. Um, and certainly, like I said, we will make sure that you get those questions answered um, when I post um, the final version of the podcast in a few days. Um, the next podcast, um, episode five, uh, will take place on March 3rd, and it will feature Ms. Patricia Lowry, um, who is the Gond diva of diversity and veterinary <laughs> medicine. Um, She will um, be on the show, we will be recording um, in the midst of the AAVMC uh, 50th Anniversary Annual Conference. Um, And she will be talking about the history of diversity um, in veterinary medicine and academic veterinary medicine specifically. Um, And then later in the month, Stacy Pritt from the Women's Veterinary Leadership um, Development Initiative will be joining us to talk a bit about that organization's efforts to promote um, and develop uh, women um, for leadership positions in the profession. So with that, we will sign off. Thank you so very much again for each of you for joining us. uh, we will see you in a few weeks. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, Thank you. for having me.